You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. We have two guests today, Josh Joseph and Tara Joseph. Uh, Josh is founder and CEO at Big Plan Holdings. Tara is co-founder and CFO, Big Plan Holdings. We're going to talk to them about the extensive experience they've had in the cannabis industry as operators and now as investors and really people moving and shaking in the cannabis world, looking at opportunities, helping other companies grow and scale. A lot of interesting things going on in cannabis, and they have a unique perspective, having been operators and having seen this industry grow and mature and now really working with many companies on but sort of the next generation of cannabis. And we're going to have an interesting conversation on what they see going on in the industry, what they think the big issues are, uh, and really what they're hoping to do with Big Plan Holdings and, and the work that they're doing today. So with all that, Josh, Tara, welcome to the program. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you. Before we dive into Big Plan, let's hear kind of from each of you in terms of the background of how you got into doing this work, how you got into cannabis. Give us a little of the backstory, and then we'll cover some of the companies you've been involved with and how you got to Big Plan. And I'll let you decide who's going to go first. Sure. Yeah, Bruce, it's uh, it's Josh, and uh, I'll take a stab at, at jumping off here. Um, in 2014, myself along with uh, three partners apply for licenses in the state of Illinois. At that time, Illinois was the 11th state to pass a medical pilot program or a medical cannabis program. Uh, mm-hmm. In Illinois, it happened to be a medical pilot program at that moment in time. In 2015, we were awarded our first licenses in the state of Illinois. Um, they were all medical medical retail dispensary licenses at that time. And by the end of 2015, we had opened and activated our stores and we were all of a sudden in the cannabis industry. Tara was certainly a partner in that business alongside myself, even though day in and day out, it was, you know, primarily myself along with a few other, uh, a few other gentlemen that I had been in business with for quite some time leading up until then. And so that's what catapulted us into the cannabis industry. The reason we got into it, or a couple of reasons we got into it, was we we saw an opportunity in time to jump into what we felt was going to be what we characterized as Prohibition 2.0 at the time. Yep. And we were we were turned on by a couple of friends and colleagues out on the West Coast that had already been in the business in California. And we were very intrigued. You know, socially we were all for it. And as we dove into the medical side of things, that became very intriguing. Tara, you know, has an autoimmune disorder disease, if uh-huh. you will, lupus. And, you know, all of a sudden that was something that 
you know, once we started to get a better understanding, she and I, of the medical elements and components of, of the power of the plant, if you will, that also became, you know, part of our mantra. And uh, we are very excited about being able to help a whole host of patients, if you will, and folks that really were in need of and continue to be in need of, of cannabis versus opioids or alcohol, et cetera for a number of reasons. So yeah, that was the start of it. And, you know, the short version is that we took our company that started in Illinois from one state and we took it to 12 states with a probably an employee count at the end before we sold or when we sold our company in July of 2020, uh, an employee count reaching approximately 1200 employees, both from a corporate standpoint, as well as out in the field of you know the retail medical and retail dispensaries and the grow and cultivation facilities and the processing facilities so we scaled to a rather significantly sized company in yeah. that in that roughly five and a half year period of time yeah i'm curious Tara, how what is it like going from having a first license to really growing that license growing you know other locations multiple states what's the the kind of day-to-day changes that you and Josh had to kind of manage, you know, really at a kind of personal level in terms of your day-to-day activities, what you focused on, what you needed to do to kind of grow and change as the as the entities changed, as the demands on you as leaders changed. Give me a little sense of what that was like. Well, that would be mostly all Josh. Um, and so <laughs> they had worked on it um, on a day-to-day basis. I'm the guy, I would say that every day was equivalent to a dog year. Um, yeah. And so, because it was moving at a very rapid pace and like just trying to get the education part of it, the legality, Remember, every single state, every single region has different legal, you know, legalities. And so it was really not so much me. For me, it was more about the education part to really bring education to patients um, Mm -hmm. and and be able to bring that knowledge to patients and give them an alternative medicine, so to speak. Um, But on a day-to-day basis of like how fast and rapid the stuff was changing, I would say overall, that would be a Josh answer. (laughs) <laughs> well, let me ask this, since, since you're talking about the education, I find this really interesting. So you started really with a medical focus because of the nature of the programs. Uh, and did most of these locations end up becoming adult use also? Or how did the kind of interplay between the medical programs and the adult use programs for you kind of how did that play out from an education point of view? So yes, they didn't, uh, some of them did become recreational, but as far as for for me, for the um, medical side, you know, a big portion of, if you look at the autoimmune illnesses in general for in the population, the majority of them are women. And unfortunately yeah. in women, they really don't get very great healthcare I'm not going to go on this weird tangent about that, but like it's not the same. And so what was very valuable for when we had started the company and when Josh and his partner started the company was really be able to facilitate um, making people feel like they had a safe place. Um, that they could go and get education, not feel like they had to hide under the radar because they wanted to go to something that was going to be able to help them other than the typical big pharma prescriptions um, that were out there. And so, you know, our facilities, what they were really known for is being able to have the support group meetings, very educated bud tenders, so to speak, you know, giving them education on what kind of you know, strains that people needed based on what their symptoms were. And on Mm -hmm. top of it, you know, there was cooking classes, there was uh, meditation, there was alternative medicine there that was very holistic. And on top of it, giving it an approach that people felt like they could come in and ask any questions and feel like they had enough time with the bud tenders or people taking care of them to answer questions based on whatever their illnesses are. Because the truth is cannabis 
it really helps anything from cancer to PTSD and everything in between. Yeah. yeah. Josh, uh, let's sort of dig into the business side a little bit in terms of what what was that experience like going from first license to selling a company? I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of things that you had to kind of navigate and figure out. But what were some of the big takeaways for you as a leader in terms of challenges you had, things you really needed to kind of evolve and change as the company grew in terms of your approach and your thinking? Yeah, Bruce, it was was an amazing experience looking back on it. And one in which you know maybe one day I'll write a short book on it. <laughs> Frankly, it's uh, it's worthy of one. I think just even yeah. even for a legacy for our family and friends, etc. But it it was amazing the velocity in which it moved at that moment in time from call it 2014 15 to 2020. It was it was staggering. I mean, you went from 11 states in 2014. To I forget exactly how many states when we sold and exited in 20 had programs, but it was into the 30s at that point, upper 20s, low 30s by that point. You know, now I believe we're up to, you know, call it 37 or 38 states, if I'm not mistaken. And so, you know, we we needed to be extraordinarily nimble. We needed to work extraordinarily hard. We were also at the same time running a very successful commercial real estate company out of Chicago <laughs> and with your extra time. <laughs> yeah. And, and you have to remember at that time of our growth of the company, none of us were taking a dollar out, you know, we yeah. were doing nothing but pouring dollars in and you know, this is an all cash industry or certainly at that time it was an all cash industry and remains no traditional debt available to scale a business because it continues to violate federal law versus state law, right? So it's a federal Mm -hmm. law versus state law situation. So we really needed to be nimble, smart, very, very quick on our feet, understand how to structure deals. Really, you know, I think we had a few advantages. I think we, over our competitors, I think we had, looking back on it, we were probably, I'm very proud to say, the first real cannabis company that understood, truly genuinely understood the importance of finding real estate and finding a location that worked when we would yeah. go and apply. You know, a lot of our competitors at that time didn't really understand, you know, they knew they needed a space to go apply with when a state, you know, enacted legislation. But coming from the commercial real estate world, my partners and I for many, many years doing deals around the country, we had a leg up on a lot of our competitors. So we had relationships around the country. We had the wherewithal and the know-how to structure contracts to purchase or leasehold interests that wouldn't necessarily lock us in with certainty, if you will, but negotiated deals that gave us the time that we felt states were going to need to take to you know, review our applications and let us know if we won or not, if that makes sense. Yeah. On top of that, understanding from a legal standpoint and being able to evaluate and analyze when a state enacted legislation, all of the do's and don'ts that you were faced with. And that was a tremendous, tremendous task. And then on top of all of those, or those couple of items, it was also the ability to go fundraise and raise capital from outside investors. And it was also writing the applications. And state by state, each application was different. And the art of writing these applications and you know scoring the appropriate points per part if you will per section in the applications is absolutely critical to success and then 
if you're fortunate enough to win, it's actually executing on the game plan. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, then you're like, okay, wow, we just went through this entire last year of going through everything I just talked about, right? You know, finding a location, understanding legislation, writing an application, submitting an application, and ultimately winning a license or licenses in a state, then you had to actually go and execute on all of that and actually run a business. So it was a lot of work. It was a real, real lot of work. And you had to go raise money along the way in order to stay in business or continue to, you know, pour in, you know, a whole bunch of your own funds. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it was a it was a very fast moving, very, very challenging time. But looking back on it, you know, it was certainly a great learning experience without question. And, you know, and to date we have the most, you know, I'm proud to say we have, I would argue all day long, still to this day, we have the most successful exit in the cannabis industry, you know, by far um, at this point. And at some point, not only will we get surpassed from a dollar standpoint, but we were able to somehow, some way, it almost capture lightning in a bottle, Bruce. And, Mm -hmm. You know, and it was a perfect moment in time where we were we were a very accretive target for a very you know for you know one of the for the largest cannabis company in the world to come in and buy us, if you will. So we learned a lot, and we had to really be nimble. We had to have good leadership, and we had to really you know I I would just as an aside I would disappear on business for two or three days and be on the road or a week and then come back into the corporate office. And no kidding, all of a sudden there would be 10 or 15 new people that we hired (laughs) that I had no idea who they were and they had Uh no idea who I was. Uh, And it was, you know, I remember one year, Bruce, in particular, that we went from, I asked our COO at the time, a woman who had been working with us for many years in our real estate business, who moved over to cannabis with us. And I asked her at the end of one of our years, I was like, how many people do we have working like for us at this point? She said, we started the year at 200 people. She's like, we're now at 800. I'm like, you must be kidding me. She's yeah. like, no. She's like, we just hired 600 people in, in like less than one year. Yeah. So, you know, and on top of that, raising capital, you know, we raised $180 million of private capital. That doesn't come easy. <laughs> no. Yeah. You know, so well, that's private capital. Yeah. That's a, that's a big lift. That, that was a big, that was a very, very big lift. Yeah. So it yeah. was, um, it was a lot of running around. It was a lot of work and uh, wouldn't change it for the world looking back on it. But as Tara mentioned, no joke, every day and every week were, you know, like five or 10 years. So, yeah. And then, so, and so then what, right? So you have this successful, large exit, like how did you process that whole experience? How did you figure out what you were going to do next? I mean, was this, you knew exactly what you're doing. Did you have to kind of take a step back and figure out now that you had, you know, this exit, what you could do with it? Or tell me about that process. Yeah. Tara and I will both answer this question. I'll, I'll take the first part of it. You know, we knew she and I both knew that something was going to happen at that time. Either we were going to go public and have a an entrance into the public marketplace uh, where you can only go public up in Canada. We were going to sell our company or we were going to continue remaining as a private company, but we were going to likely end up because of the size of our company needing to bring in like a next level type of leadership, if you will, yeah. um, at the C-suite level. My partners yeah. and I are all very smart folks. We know what we're doing. 
but we got to a point where this business was so big and so significant that we would have needed to bring in some real legitimate C-suite folks. Yeah, if that different ballgame. Yeah, different ball game and so, so Tara and I looked at each other and we were, you know, we knew something was going to take place. And we always loved Nashville, Tennessee, <laughs> to kind of bring it back to, you know, where we sit today, you know, most yeah. of our time. And we had the good fortune of being able to buy a home here in 2000, early 2019. And we started formulating a game plan just together and saying, hey, listen, you know, not if, but when something takes place with grassroots, what does the next chapter of our lives look like together? And... You know, that was where we started to formulate the game plan of Big Plan Holdings, which was Tara's idea in terms of, you know, formulating a family office and a brand and all of those good things. And, you know, kind of activate certain interests that our family has always had together. And I'll, I'll turn it over to Tara yeah. in terms of talking about, you know, what some of those interests are. And then, you know, we didn't really activate those until after the exit of grassroots but we started talking about them a lot and i'll turn it over to tara at this point yeah yeah yes. so um it really our interest it's what brought our family together as a whole and what we've been doing since the kids were little is concerts and music and music really is kind of what solidifies our family and when we had decided like what was this what's a unique route that we haven't tried yet because we're very much that kind of couple that you know he had never tried cannabis but let's go try it you know like we yeah. were one of those couples that you know let's try something and see what happens and so the music industry was kind of next on our list what was very comical about all this is when, when Joshi had exited um, the cannabis industry, he looked at me, he's like, I never want to discuss cannabis ever, <laughs> ever, ever again. He's like, don't let me buy a dispensary. Don't let me look at a dispensary. Oh and then, you know, here we are looking at things and we've, it's evolved so much and we're in, you know, we're back in the cannabis industry yeah, or, um, you know, but we, we went with music and then we went from music, we went into fashion and from fashion, we also, you know, we're building a bar downtown Nashville and we also, so it's a music publishing company. And, you know, we also started something that was very philanthropic because being very fortunate in the sellout of his company, we wanted to be able to give back to the world. That's really what it pretty much fills our bucket as a family. Um, yeah. And, you know, and so we started a foundation that our daughter runs. Um, you know, we also, I, I have a women's empowerment networking group that's at About Women for Women that we, um, you know, create these events around Nashville and Chicago area that's about empowering and bringing women together and um, making them feel like they have a sisterhood. We, mm -hmm. um, you know, so we have all these different crossroads that individually we work on the businesses, but they do cross over quite a bit. In getting back into cannabis was one of them because there's such a crossover, obviously, from the music industry, the fashion industry, the cannabis industry, the food yeah. industry. You know, there's um, there's a little bit of like this fun niche that has um, that, you know, they're all unique in their own right, but they also cross over, which is yeah. kind of cool. And so we've created this. I would say Big Plan Holdings is a culture. We created a brand out of it, but we also created a culture. We have all these different individuals that work with us that have their own wheelhouse, you know, in those different areas and if the, in those different branches. However, we all work together, you know, and 
collaborate together and create together, even though they might have their own separate locations that they work on, but they all cross in some form or um, path. So we really have created a culture um, that is pretty unique. We have kind of an incubator where we can do everything and create whatever we want. And I'll have all of our employees um, that are our partners in all of this be, be able to be as creative as they want um, in all those different industries. So that was kind of like our passion. We really want to do something that was very passionate and creative and in a space that's very giving back and and be able to, I guess, collide all of those things together and create this unique culture. Yeah, I love it. It's just such a unique opportunity uh, to to actually do that, right? To, to have the, the, the network, the connections, the experience, obviously the funding to be able to actually bring those companies together and create that kind of synergy is, uh, is, is, is fascinating. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. Let's talk about in terms of what you're doing in cannabis today, like what's the focus? Why focus on those things? What are the thing impact kind of that you want to be having in cannabis at this point? Give us a little insight. Yeah, today, Bruce, we are we started about a year ago a a real push to have diversity, equity, inclusion, social equity, if you will, all in one bucket. Uh, that was a that was a very big focal point of ours coming out of the industry, as Tara mentioned. I had no interest for a period of time ever talking about cannabis again. And that took about two or three months. You know, when we sold our company, it was a very weird time because it was truly in the height of the pandemic. It yeah. was in July of 2020. And Tara and I have always known nothing but hard work. And we didn't have the opportunity because of the state of the world to really go disappear, frankly, for a few months and yeah. just go off the grid. So what we did was we both dove into new our new world, which is what Tara just described at Big Plan Holdings and all the various things that we're doing. And uh, what she just summarized in two minutes, frankly, you know, we could probably spend an hour talking about. But what we're doing today is we're back in focused on the social equity side of cannabis. We're talking with social equity applicants in different states. We are providing for financing uh, whether it be in real estate or operating businesses from a social equity aspect. And when I talk about social equity, we talk about social equity, it's minorities and women. You know, again, I come back to that this has been primarily what I came out of seeing as a white man's industry. And yeah. one of the big la you know, one of the big things lacking has been minority and women involvement, frankly. And mm -hmm. that's been, you know, being a husband to a very strong wife as well as us having two very strong daughters, uh, yeah. that's been a very big focal point of mine, of mine personally, is to see women succeed, not just in business, but also certainly in this industry, as well as minorities, you know, people of color. And yeah. so, you know, we've been focused on that. We created a company called BPH Legacy Partners. We have partnered with two former NFL professional athletes. They are our partners in that in that venture. And today, what we've done to date is we own. Uh, we've well, I shouldn't say we own wholeheartedly, but we've invested into a cannabis operation in the state of Maine. We have a pending application in the state of New Jersey, and we are in the process of 
actually rolling up and doing a consolidated roll up of our investment in the state of Maine that will put us into four states in the Northeast. And I expect that that consolidated roll up will be completed by the end of this year. So all of a sudden we'll have a part of a small MSO, and I'm sure you're familiar with that acronym. Um, you know, we'll have us, we'll have a, an investment into a small Northeast regional based MSO in the states of Massachusetts, Maine, Vermont, and New Jersey. We've also, Tara and I, have made investments into certain strategic beverage companies. Mad Mad Tasty is a CBD-infused beverage company that we're very, very excited to be a part of. We took a board seat as part of that investment. Very excited about that. Have an investment in a THC-infused beverage company called Happy, H-A-P-P-I, which is based in Michigan, as well as they just launched in the state of Maine, unrelated to our investment in the Maine dispensaries and cultivation operations, but mm-hmm. a separate uh, separate investment. And that is with a woman-owned company, a woman that I used to work with at Grassroots, actually, who started that THC-infused beverage company. So I'm very excited that we're involved with her in that push. And then we're continuing to provide counsel and, and advice and trying to find the appropriate spots. We have acquired some real estate, cannabis-oriented real estate, and leased it back to operators. So where we have cannabis operators as tenants of ours. And, uh, and that's what we're doing. Tara, Tara's going to jump in and, and add maybe a couple of things I missed. We're also um, trying to bring education to the Nashville area. So we're offering these Canada chats. Um, actually, the next one is going to be on November 10th. And we're, we create panels where people can come in. You know, Tennessee, it's not legal here. So everyone is very inquisitive yeah. about the industry itself. And there's a lot of lobbyists around town that really are trying to make it so it's legal. And so we want to bring, again, the education was what we started and what it was found, the basis and the foundation of the business originally. And it's what we want to continue to keep growing. And so we offer these every few months. The location, again, will be in Nashville, but the place itself will be to um, TBD, but it's going to be, you know, with a different panel every single time. And again, people can come in from all different facets of life and be able to ask questions, whether it be medical or it could be legal or whatever they have to ask. But we want to continue the education in um, in, in Nashville itself. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to talk about the equity inclusion a little bit and just kind of take your get your take on well, I guess you know, there's many states that have been putting together these programs. Some have been around for a while. Some of them are newer. But you know, various efforts have been made. I mean, what do you see that's working, and what do you see that's not working, and why? I mean, what's what's your kind of take on the the general industry effort to kind of change some of the balance here? That's a great question. Uh, the first question you asked of what is working, that's a pretty quick answer. Not much. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, next question. So. so <laughs> Um, yeah, when you asked that, that was, that was easy, man. Um, not much is, not much is working. And, and I have, you know, a bunch to say about that. You know, the, the states come out and, you know, and this is a general, this is general commentary, right? But states, yeah. states come out with, you know, Hey, we're going to go issue 150 or 200 new dispensary licenses for social equity applicants. And what states have failed to realize time and time again is that unless you provide for financing options yeah. <laughs> and you also at the same time have a streamlined and efficient process to live up to deadlines of accepting applications, reviewing them, and providing results of who wins, this process will never work. Okay? Yeah. And 
you know, Illinois is a, a great example. I mean, so much, every state's a great example. Illinois finally just issued social equity dispensary licenses after two years of taking in the applications and then subsequent litigation that took yeah. place. The state of Connecticut, which, you know, we are somewhat involved with at this point in terms of that process. Uh, we were knee deep into Connecticut on the social equity side. Then we respectfully backed out and then now we're back in, we're dipping our toes back in a little bit. They have litigation, uh, you know, right away. Social yeah. equity folks won, you know, I forget how many licenses. And what happens is, is unless, and, and then what happens is, is now Illinois, for example, I'm back to Illinois. Now these folks have won a license, okay? And that license they feel is worth so much money. They've worked their butts off. They've, they've kept a, a property. They've spent legal fees, whatever it might be. They've spent administrative fees, all this time and energy. But now they don't have a million dollars, $2 million, $5 million to go build out a store or two yeah. stores. Or if they win five licenses in Illinois, which is a cap, for example, which and we have a dear friend, a minority who just won uh, five dispensary licenses after she litigated the state of Illinois, you know, for her to go open five dispensaries in the state of Illinois, you know, that lift could be 15 to $20 million. Yeah. Exactly. And where are they going to go get 15 or $20 million? And, yeah. and that's a real challenge. And so that's what I'm seeing in state by state, unless they, they can really execute upon a timeline that works and live to that timeline and then also provide and be open to have financing available in some way, shape or form. I don't see social equity and diversity, equity and inclusion being crazy successful. Here's where we differentiate a little bit, Tara and myself, in terms of our approach. Mm -hmm. um, we differentiate in the following. BPH Legacy Partners, which I referenced a little while ago, has been set up to provide for minorities and women to make investments into fully vetted investment opportunities in both plant touching and non-plant touching deals, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Every, so many people want to be involved in the cannabis and or CBD industries, but they don't know, so many of them don't know how to get into a good deal. So many of them may want to not be an operator. They may want to put in some passive income or I'm sorry, a passive investment, for example. Yeah. They may want to put in $50,000 or $100,000 or a quarter of a million dollars, but they may not want to operate a dispensary or a grow facility. They mm -hmm. just may want to be involved in the industry because they think that they, it could be a good investment. They may want to you know, be invited to participate into an investment like Mad Tasty or like Happy, something like that. So BPH Legacy Partners has been established not only to apply for licenses and provide financing opportunities for social equity winners and applicants and minorities and women, if you will, but it's all on the plant touching side, but it's also on the non-plant touching side. It's also come to us because we've been there and we've done this before. Yeah. Let us create the opportunities. We have a great pipeline of deal flow. Let us underwrite them. Let us vet them and let us invest, be an investment vehicle for you as a minority or a woman who wants to get into the industry, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's a way that we've dif differentiated ourselves. When Tara and I were talking about BPH Legacy Partners, what are the big 
differentiators that we could do for minorities and women. So if, yeah. if hopefully that resonates a little bit. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and I love the, the kind of the practical nature because that's certainly what I've seen is like, yeah, you can do all this, you know, kind of getting people's licenses, but if you don't get them, you know, real estate and funding and leadership and, uh, you know, expertise and contracts, and, you know, if, if you don't figure everything else out, it doesn't do much good, right? You're going to end up having a bunch of bad licenses out there. Bruce, not, not to take too much of your time on this topic, but yeah. I, I am just coming off of a deal in the city of Boston that it was probably arguably, I think, out of all of the deals I've evaluated the last couple of years after we sold grassroots from a social equity standpoint, this was like, this just fit the mandate of BPH legacy partners, okay? Like to a T. And this was to buy a piece of real estate, lease it back to the company, also provide the company, the social equity winners who have a dispensary license in the city of Boston already in hand, provide them capital to get the operating business up and running. And this was a combination of two gentlemen, both gentlemen, one African-American gentleman, one Caucasian gentleman, who are both social equity applicants, and they won a license. They had a great location, or they have a great location. We could not make the economics work based upon just the way the industry is today. And, and they fit the bill for a perfect, yeah. perfect deal for us. And unfortunately, and they passed the character test. They passed everything. They passed the location test. They had everything dialed in, but we still could not get to a point where we felt comfortable going to our investor base yeah. and saying, hey, listen, for this two and a half or $3 million investment, this is a great deal for us. And that's unfortunate. And I really genuinely hope these two gentlemen can figure it out. I really yeah. do. But if we couldn't figure it out, I mean, somebody else is always smarter or may want to take a little bit greater risk. Exactly. Um, or, or not as smart. Or, or not as smart. <laughs> um, or, you know, but we respectfully had to pass on that. So yeah. I really, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful social equity and diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, really take, you know, take off. But uh, I'm, I have some, I have some concern. Yeah. So I'm going to give you each uh, just two quick questions or each give you a question you can you can answer briefly is if I gave you each a magic wand uh, and you could, you know, wave it and change one thing about cannabis today, like what would it be and why? Like what, what do you think is the, the one kind of problem or issue or a thing that you'd want to see change in cannabis? Oh, um, I just think that needs to be legalized in general. I just think that people need the opportunity to have um, the resources that they need available, um, yeah. especially for people that are not well um, from various illnesses, that they don't should not have to like feel like they have to leave a state to go get those resources available to them. So yeah. that's what I would like changed. All right, Josh? I would say from a business standpoint, I would love to see the Safe Banking Act passed. And I would mm -hmm. love to see the opportunity for cannabis companies, both the existing small level, mid-level and the large MSOs as well, <laughs> um, like Cureleaf who acquired us, like any mm -hmm. of those companies, be able to access traditional banking. You know, I absolutely am a massive believer in that and a massive supporter of that. I also, uh, similar, similarly to Tara, absolutely believe that you know, providing for the industry to come into our culture, if mm -hmm. you will, and into our space, it, you know, when you take polls and you look at this, it needs to be at some point embraced rather than pushed out and not be such a political issue. And, you know, I think that we're getting closer, but it's still going to take some time. I don't think that 
cannabis should be a schedule one drug. It should not be treated the same way as heroin and cocaine and all of you know those, mm-hmm. those other schedule one drugs. I think that the big pharma and the alcohol and tobacco companies, they're the ones that don't want us in the industry yeah. today. And yeah. hopefully that changes as well at some point soon. Yeah. Josh, Tara, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about the two of you, about Big Plan Holdings, what's the best way to get that information? They can go to our website, which is bigplanholdings.com. You can also check us out on Instagram at at bigplanholdings. We also have a podcast that you could look at the Big Plan podcast, which gives you quite a bit of information about us in general from um, personal to business. And so those are all the different avenues. You can go look us up. Awesome. I'll make sure all the links and handles and everything are in the show notes so people can get that. Josh Tara, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Have a great day. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.